Kavinka Britson is going to do in the 1500. He has time to look behind him. 20 years of age, and he is on top of the world. But coming down for a maiden national crowd, Cornwall is a champion. Steve Monaghetti is still a household name throughout most of Australia. Along with Dee Costella, he is without a doubt one of Australia's most recognisable runners. With World Champs bronze and Commonwealth Games gold medals donning his trophy cabinet, and with a 208.16 PB, Mona was the elite of the elite in the 90s and would still be one of Australia's best today. At 61 years of age, Mona still runs, and pretty fast too. Last year, for example, he pumped out a 33-minute road 10K at 60 years of age. We caught up with Mona to discuss not just the old days, but what is happening now, how he still manages to run so fast as a Masters athlete, and also his thoughts on a range of things, from Jane Gregson, Pat Tiernan, and Brett Robinson, to Super Shoes and Kelvin Kipton. We hope you enjoy. Just quickly before we jump into this, this episode is powered by a brand close to my heart, Tarkine. Tarkine is a rapidly growing Australian company that makes high-tech running apparel and shoes in an ethical and sustainable way. From high-quality running hats and shirts to soft and comfortable merino wool socks, our recently released Trail Devil shoe got voted by Believe in the Run website as one of the best surprises of 2023 and has found its way onto the feet of some of Australia's best runners. Tarkine is run by Australians in Australia and all product is shipped from Perth, Western Australia. Check them out at tarkine.com and use code RUNNERSTRIBE for 10% off your first order. I'm here with uh, Steve Monaghetti. Moner, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Sam, great to be back, mate. Seems like it's been too long. It has been, mate. It has been. We. And for those who haven't read our book, The Marathon Stars, that we did with um, Mono was in it many years ago. I remember we chatted then and, we, you know, Leonora a few times, I think, and at Forest Creek I, I ran into you once with Raph Boar and hang out there and had a chat. But it's been a, been a few years, I guess, we're a bit older than last time we met. Yeah, great memories. And, you know, I always say that running friends are friends for life. And whilst we don't catch up as regularly as we'd like, you know, it feels like just yesterday and we just, you pick up where you left off, don't you? It's kind of like a marathon without a finish. We just keep going. Exactly, mate. Yeah, Mona, I want to just, it's a few days after Pat Tiernan's run. He dumped the 207, second fastest in history, Australian, obviously. I just, I, I want to get your thoughts on it. You must be stoked for him. Uh, I just wanted to touch base with you on that. Yeah, and sure, and I've kind of followed Pat. I've sort of had little wages and bets along the way with people. I actually thought so. I'm not. I'm not pumping up my own ties. You can check that with a few of my friends that I said Pat would break Deke's record, which he did. Unfortunately, though, Robbo had already broken it twelve months earlier. So um, 
which is great for distance running. I think we're all kind of worrying about, you know, we just needed to get a few guys under 210 and the women were going really well. So it's um, nice to have Pat and such a marathon runner. I mean, I think, you know, that rhythm is just a beautiful looking runner. So that's why I was kind of always thinking that um, once he did get out to the marathon, he'd be exceptional at it and he's showing that. And I still think he's got a bit of upside as well, which is obviously even better for him and a massive. I mean, you don't just drop you know three minutes off your pb every day of the week so you know yeah. to be able to do that um, shows that there's um you know a bit of improvement there and he's had a pretty tough couple of years i think everyone would wouldn't acknowledge that so and he's a terrific bloke and um it's nice to see getting a bit of reward for uh, you know the hard work that he's put in and that's what you want in marathon running and distance running i it's never you know we we can talk to the cows come home about talent unrecognized talent people who are so talented and all blah 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 but, you know, being able to back that talent up with a strong work ethic, with the patience, you know, came out and he ran Zatapec and, and ran well. He looked like a marathon runner there, didn't he, to be honest. If you looked at yeah. that, you'd probably go, shit, that bloke can probably run 2-7 in, in two months' time, and he has. So, you know, that hard work that he's put in has obviously um, reaped reap rewards. And to do it at Houston, which probably a little bit surprising, not historically, you know, a super fast course. So I was a little bit um, surprised with uh, him doing it there. I thought he might need, you know, a, everyone seems to be running faster Valencia as we're gathering, yeah. but Valencia, Berlin, Chicago, somewhere like that. So yeah, maybe, yeah. Yeah, and that where you see that's probably where he's got a bit of upside as well. Yeah. And finishing fourth, that's the other thing. And I, I, I like to, you know, the, the girls ran, ran great, um, uh, recently, but you know, in Valencia, but Robbo ran really well in Fukuoka. And what we forget is Robbo at 37k was 10 seconds behind the winner. Now, that's what I like. So, you know, start forgetting about times. You yeah. know, people running two hours, 201. Well, if we've got guys running 2627, you know, you go, oh, they're 2k behind the win. But no, be competitive in the marathon. And Pat was fourth in the marathon. That's what I love to see. So, you know, that's that's where I, I go. It's a race. You know, we can time trial all we like, Sam. But at yeah. the end of the day, you know, no one worries about the Olympic time. If you win, you're Olympic gold medalist. They don't say, oh, we only get half a gold medal because you ran too slow. <laughs> yeah. The, it's it's so cool, you know, heading into an Olympic year. It's our women's marathon running is is it's damn good. Um, now, we, now we have a few men, you know, significantly under sub 210, you know, it's, um, where do you think this all started, Mono? When, when we interviewed you for the book, you know, over 10 years ago now, it'd been a long time since an Aussie man had broken 210 and, and we were talking about, you were blaming, I think, tongue-in-cheek blaming Craig Mottram, everyone was <laughs> a 1,505 k runner because they wanted to be like Mottram, but what changed, mate? Like, it's it, it started with the women, I feel. You know, obviously Benita always ran quick, but then there's been a lot of women recently, and then the men kind of followed the women. What 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 do you think happened? Oh, I think a couple of things. I think this new, you know, and I'm old school. I don't do it, never did, and I couldn't on a Sunday morning go for a 35k run and you know do 20 of it at um, jogging pace, and then you know the last 15 at. At, at marathon pace that would just um, kill me I, I can't even even the thought of it I'm getting I'm getting nervous just thinking about it so <laughs> that type of training is obviously something that we needed to incorporate into Australian distance running and obviously that's um, reflected now in and the women were always better at I reckon they absorb those runs better so if you say and 
you know, I've been away on lots of teams where women will go out for a run and they, they drop us because women have a capacity to run closer to their max and they're probably more suited to running a marathon. So I think our Aussie women embrace that sort of tempo, long tempo running before the men did. And, um, you know, that's probably... I, I, I could be responsible partly for that. But now they've absorbed that. So that was the first thing. And the second thing, absolutely no doubt, is the super shoes. Now, not the super shoes themselves, but the intent that you can suddenly run fast. So it's not actually the shoe. It's the mental um, positivity you get out of putting them on your feet. You suddenly go, oh, oh I, I know I'm not going to get tired at the back end of a marathon now. I can just go harder early and put it on the line and I know I'm not going to blow up. I can keep going and I can run two seven. So whilst there's the physical benefit of the super shoes, I think people have underestimated how great that is for your confidence and that's being reflected now in those times. So they're not just, you know, sneaking under 210. You know, we've seen Robbo and and Pat in the two sevens for the men and the women, you know, under Benita's record and they're all getting close to Benita's old record. You know, we saw Izzy and, and Jen. So, you know, I think that confidence is, as much as anything from the super shoes has really had an impact as well. Yeah. And obviously I, I gather from this, yeah, I'm pretty sure I already know the answer to your opinion on super shoes, but we had Deeks a few years ago come out. He was pretty critical of them. And then I, I think, I think Tams and the other other um, kind of high-profile Aussie athlete that's a bit little uh, critical of them, maybe. But I'm taking from this that you're you're a big fan. Oh yeah, obviously. Now I've got to declare my my interest in my shoe sponsor of 37 years. So. Of course, yeah, no secret. That's no secret. Yeah, no secret there. And um, you know, but gee, and I put them on my feet, and you know, they're obviously, you know, I'm still running pretty well, and there's no doubt that I'm getting getting a benefit out of wearing them as well. So I'm I'm benefiting from. So it's hard to be hypocritical and say, oh yeah, I can wear them, but gee, don't let the guys break our old records, you know, in them. So. But and I just see it as progression and the way they've now filtered down into recreational running and, you know, that where everyone gets a benefit and we're seeing that reflected in PBs across the board and the depth, you know, I think while I was in Valencia, there was about 5,000 5, people under three hours. I had some phenomenal amount of people. So, you know, that reflection of allowing other people to benefit from it as well as I think is really important. So it's not exclusive to the elites. I think everyone's allowed to benefit from it. And that's what I really enjoy. So, and why wouldn't you, if it's technology there, then, you know, we, I'm sure, you know, I talked to Derek Clayton and, you know, he, he used to wear Dunlop volleys or whatever they were. And, you know, then we were in the MRIs and, and, you know, shoes that I had that was certainly a progression on what he had. It's just that now with social media, we, we know what's in the shoes and we're seeing so much analysis of it. Probably in my day, we would have just started wearing these shoes and someone would have said, oh, gee, those shoes look different. I go, oh, yeah, they're just the new Nike racing shoe. No one would have actually said, oh, where do I get them? I said, oh, they'll be in the store soon. Just go down and buy a pair. But now because we've got so much, you know, analysis of it, people are very aware of what's in them and the benefits and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So I think we get carried away with technology. Sam, you've still got to run. You've still got to be able to absorb the training and you still then got to reflect that and if it's an even playing field for everybody the results reflect that so I, I don't have a problem with that at all and if it's benefiting distance running I mean I think it has crossed over where I'm having conversations with the general public now they know what a super shoe is and they're suddenly talking about distance running well wow isn't that a great conversation to be having and certainly that wasn't happening 20 years ago yeah 100 percent 
Manu, are you still are you in touch with the current generation, Mats? Like a, a guy like Pat or say Jen, you know, after her amazing marathon the other day, um, are you are you in touch with a lot of these current kind of you know leading marathon runners still? Um, on social, so I sent Pat a message and yeah. um, said Jen. So I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not involved or interfering obviously but i'm i'm always aware of what they're doing and like to just remind you know send them a nice little message so it's nothing about me and I, i'm not i don't do that publicly i just you know send them personal messages and stuff and if i see them you know i'm still at lots of events so gold coast melbourne you know sydney marathon i'm seeing all of those people regularly and catching up with them but um, i can't keep up can't keep up in training anymore sam so i can't run with them anymore but i <laughs> Still how, certainly keep aware of what's happening. How amazing was Jen's um, kind of marathon hit out? I think that kind of everyone knows how good she is, obviously, but just to run that quick, you know, straight up is kind of maybe, you know, it definitely shocked a few people, I think. It was very, very fast, hey, for first run. Yeah, well, and postpartum and yeah. with two Achilles ops. I mean, I've had Achilles ops myself. I know what impact they can have. So for her to be able to bounce back, I mean, she is one of the toughest runners I've ever met. She spent a little bit of time here in Ballarat and with Ryan. And um, so I'm not surprised. And I do have, uh, and, and again, I've, I've mentioned this theory to a few people. I have a theory that 3K steeplers make very good marathon runners because they're pretty resilient. You know, they're jumping over obstacles. So they're used to facing obstacles and they tend to just, they probably don't have the innate speed of a sort of so they're, they're less likely to stay on the track and run fives and tens because they get out kicked all the time or they get beaten or they're you know in in the flat races and they get so they head out to the marathon but they've got that work ethic that makes them pretty good marathon runners so i told nick but i wanted to get jen out running marathons a bit earlier but you know history will show it's never too late and the way she's going at the moment you know she's got um, a, a bright future of marathon running ahead of her yeah Remember, oh, um, right. yeah. answering the question, I actually wasn't that surprised. I was surprised how quickly it's happened, but I'm not as surprised as to where she's gotten, where she will go, because I always backed her in as a marathon runner. Awesome. Remember um, when we interviewed you years ago, one, one of the things you were saying about maybe why Aussie athletes hadn't, hadn't kicked on is because, you know, they were a lot of them weren't maybe fast enough over 1,505 K, whereas now we've got guys like Brett, I'm not sure if Brett's PB over 15, but I think it might be like 339 or something, right? Like he's he was a pretty decent 15 runner. And obviously Jen, we know, is decently quick over her steeple. So I feel like a lot of the the current, you know, marathon runners maybe have that speed element that you were, you know, touching on years ago. Yeah, and I think the the other difference is um, and, you know, Deke and I are probably not good and Lisa are probably not great examples, but we actually – we were still pretty good. You know, we'd win national cross country and be competitive over, I was second in a national 5K. So we had the ability to sort of have the range, but it was because it probably wasn't the depth in Australia. And, you know, I think ultimately what's happened is people have, have actually seen now that marathon running is, you know, something that they actually want to do as an event. We used to get pushed out. They'd go, well, you run a few fives, you know, too slow for that one, mate. Go out to tens. Well, you're not bad, but you're still not going to be world-class. So I oh, bump out, go out to that marathon. That's you know, longer the better, you slow old bastard. Just get out there and you'll probably be okay. Whereas now we're actually seeing someone like Kip to him, obviously go straight to the 23 years old, go straight to the marathon. Yeah. So that 
surprises me that because I love to think that you know you come through with your speed base, get as quick as you can, then you back that up in the marathon, and your differential is really good. So for someone to have the confidence at twenty three to just go out and run two oh one fifty, I think in Valencia in his first marathon, I mean that's incredible that he could back himself into run at that pace. So I always like to have that differential. So I wanted people to be fast and. You know, I think was it Kiptum or one of the guys ran 27.51 for the 10K between 30 and 40 in a marathon recently. Well, imagine Robbo turns up as a 30-minute 10K runner and that happens, well, he's going to get smashed. So from a confidence perspective, you need to know that you can match it with these guys when they kick it in and girls. So I think having the speed in, in the back of your mind gives you the confidence that when they do surge the way they're going now, you have the capacity to run at that speed. I saw some stuff getting um, shared around on socials, like after Kelvin kicked around that, um, the world record, you know, two hours, 35, I think it is. Um, and he was, it was going into his training and it was just like, blew my mind, man. I was like 300 K weeks um, with four ridiculously hard days in it. Um, and his coach, I mean, I read this bit about his coach saying, look, this probably isn't smart. You're probably going to be done in four years. And Kelvin's reply was, I don't care. You know, give me four years at the top and I'll disappear from the sport. You know, it's a, it's kind of, I look at the way you trained. It's a different, it's a different way to go at it, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I'm still running now and I'm sure that the reason my body is still able to just allow me to go out for a run is because I didn't overtrain. And I was actually talking, I ran with Ash Watson yesterday and we were talking about heart rate and, and I said, I never needed to wear a heart rate monitor because I undertrained all my life. Whereas if you overtrain, you obviously need to wear a heart rate monitor to slow you down. Whereas I didn't need to, I needed to quicken up. So I was never overtraining, but you get there eventually because undertraining, like I did, it meant it just took me a bit longer. And if you're patient, you know, and you're not bearing your body, you're just taking a bit longer to get the benefits, but it's a safer way. Whereas if you're an overtrainer and, it, you know, I've coached and helped people who are overtrainers, they absolutely need to go off heart rate because otherwise you get injured and sick and run down. So the fact that they can, that Kiptum can train, I saw that training block and I, I'm, I had to have a lie down because that is not humanly possible. So I'm not surprised he ran two, two hours and 35 seconds. If you can absorb that training, blimey, he can obviously run a bit quicker than what he has and will because it's it's I have that absolute honest analogy that it's the training you do is reflected in your racing. And if he can absorb that amount of training, I'm not surprised he can run that fast. But get out there and try it. And I tell you, you'll run two hours and 35 seconds if you can absorb that training, but you can't, Sam. Neither can <laughs> I. We did it. Mate, I struggle with 80K weeks these days, you know. Me too. Um, <laughs> along this same point, um, when Luke Matthews was in his prime, uh, you know, back in 219 or 220, we interviewed him and um, I remember asking him, you know, because he, he was doing monofartleks, but he was doing a threshold that was before a monofartlek. He was doing like a three or 4K threshold, having a two-minute break and then launching into his mono. And I remember saying, mate, like, what are you doing? Like, you know, mono is a marathon runner and he and, and mono is good enough for mono, you know, a, a 6K effort or you would probably get well over 6K, I'm not sure one a bit. They, um, you know, what do you, what do you think about that? Like along the same lines is, Obviously, a 6K or 6.5K threshold once a week, monofartlek, is is enough for you, right? But a lot of these kids these days seem to be extending that. 
Yeah, and I think it comes back to Sam, and I'm not. I, I'm quite happy with uh, you know. I have people apologising to me because they're you know they're bastardising my fart leg or change it up. I, I don't. I don't mind any hard sessions. Great, and my fart leg's just an ex- one example. So if you use that, and you and Nick, but oh, Melbourne Track Club, they've always added you know the threshold on the end of it and things like that. That's fine. I just think I was doing enough volume. That that twenty minutes, you know, I only did that twenty minutes on a Tuesday. You know, I did the eight four hundreds on the Thursday, which was fifteen minutes, and and then on the Saturday, I thought it was a seven k hill course. Since GPS, we know it's now only six point four, <laughs> so that was taking about twenty two minutes. But I was so tired from the the other hundred and eighty k that that those short little bits of almost race race um, simulation were fine for me. And I couldn't do any more because of the volume that I was doing. But if I had have cut back to 150, 160K weeks, then I would have been able to absorb the longer session. So they're almost doing these longer sessions as a substitute for the mileage that we used to do. And, you know, I was running 200Ks a week, but Deke was running 230, 240, and Kiptum's running 300Ks a week. So you can see their volume allows the the speed to be shorter and probably a bit more intense. Whereas if you drop your volume back, you've then got to do these longer tempo runs and longer sessions. So I can see the logic in it and I don't have a problem with it, but I tend to still feel like my oh, Chris Wardlaw, Pat Cloisey, that long, slow distance way is, is less risky and will get every person to a certain level, Sam, then start modifying it with these other little bits because then you need to find those extra one or two percent. That's what Pat and Robbo and Sinead and you know and Jen have done. So compliments to them. Nice. While we're on the topic of mono, I was on a um a jog with James Nipperis a, a month or two ago and and we were talking about monofartlex and how many he's done and he was like he was he reckoned he'd done 300 and something monos over the over his life and he, and then we were talking about you and how many you've done. And I forget what Nipper said, said, but it was a ridiculous number. Do you, do you, do you know how many roughly you've done? Well, no, and I haven't done any monofartlex because I don't call it monofartlex. So I've done a lot of my fartlex and normal fartlex. I think that's what I call them. Um, no, I, I, I really, I, I saw that note from Nipper and um, sent a note back saying, yeah, I reckon I've done twice as many as that, but I really have no idea. But I do remember on another podcast, you, you probably know this story that um, Julian Spence and I were running along and and he said to me, oh, when you didn't do your fartlek on a Tuesday night, what did you do? And kind of thought about it and I'm running along and three minutes, four minutes, I'm thinking. And um, I said, mate, I don't know. I never did anything else. That's all I ever did on a Tuesday night. And I can look back through my diaries. So for for 20 years on a Tuesday night, so 20 times 50 is, is what's that, a, a thousand. So there you go, every Tuesday night, you start adding them all up. But for me, it was just the consistency of it. So I don't know how many I've done, but what I do know is that it was a session that was perfect training to get the best out of me as a distance runner. And um, that's why. And the great thing is it's time-based. So, and you, you asked, you know, you said, truth me and I, but we didn't have GPS. We think we got about 7K in the 20 minutes, but we're not sure. Because I know we went through, it's just under 6K around Lake Wendere, and I went through in 17, 18, one night. So if I'm running, you know, whatever that is, that's 250k pace, so it's about 7k. But we never knew because it was just training. We didn't care. We turned up at a race on Saturday and we ran well, Sam. Does that mean that the, my fart leg was pretty good? I'd say so. <laughs> because you're 
training, it doesn't matter what you do in training. You don't submit your training times. It's what you do in the race that reflects the training that you've done. And Troop and I ran pretty well. So I think our fart leg was, was we can tick the box on that one. 100%. Uh, Mona, I was just moving to your current run-in. You're, you're 61 now and you're still dumping some pretty impressive times. I think you did a 36-minute 10K the other day. Correct me if I stuff any of this these times up. Um, and oh, don't still, worry, I will. Yeah, and you, um, yeah, you're still placing relatively high in, like, you know, little city in, in, in all the races you're going in. What what motivate, motivates you these days, mate? Like, is it... Is it a lifestyle thing and just the fact that you love running or do you want to get out there and try and crush people still? Yeah, well, I've always been a competitive beast and, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy, but on, on on race day, I'm as competitive as anybody and I have my own personal challenges. And again, I like to think that I'm a very good racer and that's one thing I can lift for races and I love getting in. I love the feeling of, you know, not sleeping the night before, hating the night before, getting up in the morning and thinking, oh, God, is this run going to go okay? And then you get in that feeling of just challenging myself and then actually delivering and crossing the finish line is is a pretty unique thing to have in life. And when you get to 61, you know, people are retiring, going to bowls tournaments in their local, you know, retirement village. Well, that's not – that's to me, I like to think that you keep learning and you keep evolving as a person by setting yourself challenges, and that's what I do. And I'm trying to reflect that in my training. I, I mean, I, I just I mentioned to you off there, you know, I'm, I'm struggling a bit with just some some health issues. So that's just made made life. I'm not enjoying my running at the moment. So I've lost that. A lot. I keep telling people I've lost my superpower. I mean, 36 minutes for 10K is probably okay, but... I ran 33.40 on that same course 12 months ago. So I've dropped a couple of minutes and I would expect that I would drop, you know, probably about, you know, I would have expected to run about 35 or just under, and I ran, you know, just under 36. So there's something not quite right. And for me now is the challenge to put my efforts into making sure I, I just get back. So get back to where I think I can be. So it's all relative. I love the personal challenges. It keeps me young. I get to run. I turn up at events. I don't just fire the gun at events, although I did at Melbourne Marathon. I saw hamstring last year. But generally, I'm turning up and running in events. And I just, for my credibility, that makes me feel better. But I also feel like I deserve to be at the event. I'm, I'm giving something to the event and I'm getting something out of the event because you know, I want to be a part of it and I want to have that sort of empathy with the other participants. And we're all in it together, Sam. And whether it's I'm at the front or down the back or in the middle, wherever I am, we're still out there enjoying that experience. And I find that really reassuring to be able to still do that. And I'll keep doing it for as long as my body allows me to. Nice, mate. You were saying off air that you're, it was that you're struggling to get your heart rate up to where it should be. Yeah, because yeah. really I, I ran I ran that race the other day. I ran Gold Coast half. That was my last good run. So I ran 73.08 or something at the Gold Coast half, which is pretty damn good. At, um, I was only 60 then. but um, and, and my heart rate, I just checked it. And this is my daughter and I were talking about heart rate. And yeah, I got it up to 175 and an average of 150 or something in the race. The other day, the race I ran where I ran just under, it was a little bit short. So I, I actually ran about 36 minutes. It was 35, 30, but it was a bit short. And I looked at it and my heart, my maximum heart rate was like 150 and I averaged about 137 or something. So I've lost this sort of 
ability to really push my body. So physically, there's something that's just limiting me at the moment. And I'm just a bit tired. It's like I've got chronic fatigue, but I'm not going to complain because, you know, as I say, everyone goes, you're kidding me. You'll complain about 36 minutes at 61. And yeah. and I don't, there are other people in the world, you know, there was a 61-year-old guy, I think the other day ran 33.08 for 10K. But these are not guys who have been running since they were 15. I mean, Johnny Marr and myself are probably two of the few that are still around you know, that were running hard in the 80s and 90s. So I'm just proud that I've been able to get, you know, 45 years of running into my body and I'm still able to keep motivated and to get this body at a level that can it can still be competitive. That's what I'm really proud of. So I don't care if people beat me, and but it's me being able to continue to slow down at a relative level. So I'm slowing down gracefully is what I tell everybody. And, you know, I think that's that's a good measure for everybody. And we're not all going to run PB, Sam. There's lots of people out there listening who are probably at a stage where they're going, well, my running's dropping away. I'm going to try some other sport. No, stick to your running and just set your own goals. You know, when you, when you turn 60, clear the slate, you've got zero PBs when you're 60. So they're all a new PB. So work on that theory, you know, and I, I ran a, you know, a relay, 800 relay early in last year. And, and, you know, I never thought I'd be, I'd be running 220 for, for an 800 at, at 60. So, you know, these personal goals that keep me motivated and keep me wanting to um, uh, do the running training so that I get the outcomes that I, I think I'm still capable of. Nice, mate. I'm, I'm kind of hoping maybe you picked up a virus and it's about to clear from your body and your heart rate's going to get back to normal or something, you know? Apparently I have got a low-level infection, which I think, Sam, is, is that medical speak for that? They're not sure what it is. Yeah. <laughs> They're probably hoping something along the same lines, right? Competitors and other people happy. I, I, all my running mates go, yeah, that's what we've been feeling like for 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> Did you see Shane Healy ran like a, um, just talking about impressive times as a Masters, he ran like a 8.47 3K the other day at 55? Yes, yes, yeah, incredible. Yeah. And that's yeah. the stuff that I, I love and I, you know, and, I, and people go, oh, you know, does that, you know, do you want to beat that? And I, I can't, I, as I say, it's, I, I've been there, done that. I, I know what my body's capable of. And I just, I'm delighted that so many people are enjoying running at an older age and setting their own goals and, you know, rather than being pensioned off it, you know, people didn't used to run it sort of over 40. And yet we've got three of the best women in Australia, you know, in their 40s or approaching their 40s. So it's wonderful to see that people can run at any age. And your training routine these days, um, when you're feeling well and you're not, you know, you're sick or whatever, the, is it much the same, same structure as you used to do? You're just going, you're keeping your Tuesday, Thursdays, Saturdays pretty much the same, just not as quick. As- do I have to be honest now? Is this, an, is this is the honesty test? <laughs> yeah. so like, in, in my mind, you know, I, I work because I still I don't keep a diary, but I work on a week, Sunday to Saturday. So yeah. and I, I'm running um, every day if my body allows me to. So still long run. So in theory, this is the theory. Sunday, long run, 20K, 21, you know, like because it's a half. And then Monday, 12K with the I only run with two or three um, people now. So we get out then Tuesday, I would normally do a session Wednesday, just a shorter, you know, I'd like to think I'd do a midweek long run, but that doesn't happen. Thursday, normally not a session. I'd like to think I could get to the track occasionally. If I hadn't done something on Tuesday, I might do something on Thursday, but I skip that now 
little a run on just a recovery run on um, Friday about 7k and then Saturday I would very regularly do a session Saturday morning or hopefully you know run a club Ballarat Victorian or Australian race so that would be the plan but at the moment in reality I'm running about 12k on a Sunday morning I'm getting about 10k done most other days and if I get a session in it's a great week <laughs> injury wise I remember chatting to you uh years ago and you had torn your your calf um I guess you know dreaded old man calves I think you were probably over 40 at that point um and you tore it pretty bad in a race from memory and then I remember I, I was suffering from Car- torn calf up a torn calf and I chatted to you about how to fix it and you gave me advice about getting a seated calf machine and just lifting heavy weights you know and is that how your calves going mate because it seems like every man over 40 that I've ever met that's trying to run just gets calf issues yeah and I've got no problems with those and I'm I'm pointing to the the bedroom that we've converted into a gym room that has my my Smith home Smith's machine in there with the bar on it at about it's got about you're meant to do body weight. So sing, I do four lots of eight reps at meant to be body weight, but I don't quite get to that. I think I've got about 45, 50 kgs on there at the moment. So I do that a couple of times a week and that's staved off my Achilles issues. I mean, it gets a bit tight, the left one, the soleus in the left one, but at the moment I've actually, and I don't think people know this, so this is this is not common knowledge, but I've got a bit of bone on bone on my right knee. So my kneecap and knee. So having some issues with that for, for that reason I'm favoring my left hand side so I've got a tight hamstring on the left hand side and a bit of glute issue so I've got some physical issues going on as well that's um, I haven't had before and these might the the it's probably osteoarthritis in my knee that is not going to get better so I've had to that's probably been a bit of a transition for me Sam to realize this isn't an injury that I can treat and get rid of it's something that I have to manage and you know, that's probably the position I'm in. So there are some physical limitations that are just starting to catch up with me and no surprises, but I'm I'm, I'm managing them at the moment and um, that seems to be okay. I always have the theory if you've got one niggle, you can sort of put up with that. Once it then goes to two, and so, you know, my knee and my hammy, then I start having an intervention. So, you know, I'm off to the physio and getting massage and treatment to see if I can. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm, I have a gym program. So I'm just trying to go to the gym and build up my, get my glutes activated, take a bit of load off my, that knee and my hamstring and calves. So it's all about learning and just managing the complications that your body comes up with so it's almost i find it's a bit of a game it's like you know your body versus you and who's winning at the moment well my body's winning but um i'm giving it a good crack well mate um stuff like glute activation and and core work and you know smith machine you know reps of eight you know that wasn't really a thing when you were in your 20s hey like you didn't really do much of that stuff not at all. Any of it. Much of it, I didn't do any of it. I mean, <laughs> tried to get me to do some weights and it didn't last very long and it was just made me so tired. I remember, you know, I do tell the story of I was doing two sets uh, and I out at Ballot Uni had a program set out for me. I do two sets and I went, he wanted reviews. So I went back after a month and he said, oh, how are you going? You know, we're ready to go from two to three. I said, mate, I want to drop back to one set. 
my best ever weight session was the first one because then I just started getting tired and getting worse and worse. So I had to take weight off. I'm the only bloke who's gone backwards on his reps. So <laughs> we got rid of that. But I never, it's interesting, Sam, I never in about 20 years went for a run ever thinking about an injury. Whereas now all I do is if I get home and I haven't torn something, it's a good day. So it's amazing how the mindset changes. I never even contemplated an injury. And, and my training was, all I was doing was just worried about how tired I was. I was managing tiredness. And, you know, I tell that great story about the, do I ever cross? People say, oh, do you ever cross train? I said, yes, I used to cross train every Thursday at two o'clock. And they go, oh, right, you know, what did you do? And I'd go, well, this, I had this activity where I'd, I'd go into my bedroom, I'd get in my pyjamas, that was the activity, I'd take the sheets back and I'd get in bed for an hour, have a sleep. That was my only cross-training and it was very, very important. It was factored into my training because it was a chance to catch up because I was just so knackered yeah. from all weeks training and I was about to head down to the track to do some 400s and I was already stuffed so I needed to sleep to catch up so there's an example of just the the training that I was doing and I never ever contemplated doing core work or stability or glute activation because I never had anything wrong with me why would you do it yeah yeah and I guess many ways like you were obviously blessed with a body you know that I know that you put years and years together in a row without ever having a rest day for an example for example um mm. as you're obviously just genetically blessed with that sort of talent where I guess talent comes in many, what I'm trying to say, talent comes in many different shapes and forms and not just a physical talent. You also had a talent that you didn't get injured, right, for those critical years. Yeah, and that's like the, I don't, it, it's your, your word, talent. My word is kind of the ingredients. And I've got lots of it, you know, the environment here in Ballarat. My, my parents who were, you know, never pushy, you know, good training group here, Lake Wendaree, the forests, and you, there's there's a lot of ingredients. You know, I'm born with a really low heart rate. I mean, my heart rate last week was 32. Thinking, God, blimey, that's going to stop. I've got some <laughs> So, you know, all of these all of these ingredients that I could have thrown into being a cricket player or a rocket scientist, but they wouldn't have worked very well. Whereas if you throw them into a into a, a running cake recipe it's the perfect mix and i came out with a perfectly baked cake so there's a lot of ingredients and and ability is one of them but there are so many other factors that are so important and you know i went to falls creek a couple of weeks ago just for catch up with a few people and you know we used to go up there regularly we hadn't been for a few years there is no doubt i came back from there a better runner than i went up now i don't know what happened up there whether it's the altitude the environment just getting back into that sort of harder training grind up there and or whatever. But I can tell you, I absolutely know that I benefited from my time up there. So that's an example. That's another ingredient. And, you know, sometimes you don't know which one it is, but if it's working, who cares? Yeah. Amon, I know you went to fours a lot when you're in your 20s and stuff, but how many, did you go there to the same extent that say, you know, guys these days like Robbo and stuff go to falls you know I know they go there in November they go there in December they go back there in January sometimes even you know maybe they sneak a little bit in in after nationals um you know before they head to head to Europe maybe you know sometimes three or four trips a year to falls I guess how often did you used to go no no I went the one so oh, so the one period I'd go twice so I'd go for um, almost three weeks, sort of from over Christmas into the new year. Then I'd come home for a couple of weeks and then I would go back for another two-week stint. So I always like to go 
so that you could do each one of the runs at least once. So, um, and that second time was just to top up really what I'd, um, what I'd got the first time. And I thought three weeks was enough. I mean, it's hard at altitude and I, I only ever did one international altitude stint that was in Boulder in Colorado. And I hated it because there was no forest and pretty flat and boring because we we're up so high. Um, so I didn't really chase it overseas. I liked it when I did it here, but I think you have to have it in a pretty natural environment. I don't think you sort of, it's not worth um, putting your life on hold to go to falls or to altitude because I don't think the benefits will then have as good a, 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 an outcome because you, you're compromising. Don't compromise your training to go to a place just because you think it's going to work for you. So I went at the right time. I was here anyway. You know, I'd ran Zatapec. I had nothing on for a few months and then off I'd go up to Japan. You know, I broke few world records for the half up there, one Tokyo, finished second in Tokyo Marathon a couple of times off that off Falls Creek altitude. And I think everyone knows the quote, you know, if someone said I had to run the best race of my life in a month's time, I'd be up at Falls Creek tomorrow. And that's true. Well, just touching on, you know, you just mentioned some of the awesome cities you've been to, you know, back in your racing days. Like, did you get to enjoy those cities, you know, like Tokyo and Athens and, you know, did did you get to have some fun afterwards and really go and do some sightseeing? You know, are there good memories of those cities? Or oh yeah, they're great memories. Yeah, and what, what I tell you, on a few teams we had a bit of fun. But what what happens on teams stays on teams. So oh, we're yeah. not going to. But um, now, what I would really do this this work extremely well. And you know, I've been fortunate enough to to, to be able to travel as an athlete and take my family. So I would sort of go somewhere and the family might not come initially and and then I'd do the sort of hard training block and the lead up and focus. Then they would come over a couple of days before the race. I'd briefly catch up with them. I'd run the event. Then we would hire a vehicle and we'd travel around afterwards because I wouldn't do much running. So I'd get up at six in the morning, do a half hour run, come back. And that was all I was doing in post-marathon recovery. So then we'd travel around and spend time with the family. And that worked out unbelievably well. And I would I would recommend that to anyone. And, you know, lots of our athletes now have families and have lives. And that's a, a nice way of combining both. And I tell everyone, I'm a great travel agent. I never really sort of got out and explored a lot of the cities that we're in but I know what they're like and what they've got to offer so I'd be a fantastic travel agent and um, you know I was fortunate enough to travel to a lot of places the same you know to the same place a lot of times so I do wish I probably had enjoyed them a bit more at the time but you're over there to do a job and you know, I, I prided myself on my capacity to run at a high level to race at a high level and that was because I was so focused if you're off tripping around on bus trips that's not focused. So I waited till after the event to allow that to happen, but um, made some great friends and had some great um, experiences. And often when I talk at, to, on things like this, it's about, you know, the people I traveled with and the fun we had. It's never about winning a race or how this race unfolded, because that's not what you remember. It's the life experiences that you share and enjoy. And, you know, like I say, we I catch up with people every day who I've shared great experiences with and become um, lifelong friends. The bronze medal in Athens in '97 is that still that's got that's still a highlight of your career looking back, right? Yeah, absolutely. And and my daughter Emma's working in London at the moment. She tripped over to Athens and she stood. She paid what did you tell me? She paid ten pounds for the privilege of. And she didn't stand on the on the highest spot on the dais. She she stepped on the third spot in honor of me, and that was a lovely, just a touching personal moment. And 
you know, I didn't win that race. You know, I probably won races, you know, most of the time around the world. But that third place was my Olympic bronze medal and as close as I got to an Olympic medal. And I delivered on that day and I was 35. It was hot. Everyone said, can't run in the heat. You're old and you'd passed it and all that sort of stuff. And to finally achieve that world medal was um, something I'll treasure. And to, obviously to do it starting at the town of Marathon and finishing in the old stadium was really special. And they're those personal memories. You know, I, I also tell the story of, for some reason, spectators weren't allowed into the stadium. In the old stadium, we ran, I can remember coming down that um, uh, Abel Anton and Martin Fizz had finished about a minute ahead of me and, and I was coming down so I could enjoy them. I ran down into this sort of the, the stadium and there was just no one there. And yet for me, this was my defining moment. I felt like I ran into the stadium and the marathon guides were sitting in those seats and they finally said, yep, Mona, we're letting you in. You're accepted. You're finally, you've served, you served your time and now we're allowing you into this exclusive club and that's the memory I take away. It's just, it's amazing how just one medal at a world champs or an Olympics just absolutely makes that athlete um, and in a historical sense. You know, Mottram got his, Benita got her gold, you got your bronze. Um, guys like, you, you know, today we see, you know, Jess Hull and um, Stewie and Ollie Hoare and just these athletes that can totally medal on the right day, hey. And isn't athletics? I mean, I think athletics is in, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to be on the board at the moment and seeing the benefits of the work. But, you know, to have win the Federation of the Year from the World Athletics, that's a great honour. But the athletes, aren't they delivering? I mean, we have our strongest athletics team in my lifetime. And yeah. just to see that and to be able to go to the track, I'm not a great spectator, Sam, to be perfectly honest, but... But it's been a delight to actually go to the track and and see not only, you know, the world athletes, but our athletes be world athletes. They're not just Australian athletes anymore. They are world athletes. And it's just fantastic to see the recognition that they're getting on the world stage for their performances and the depth across um, our teams at the moment is outstanding. The paras and, you know, it's, it's going really, really well. And it's exciting times, you know, disappointing with Com Games, not here in 2026, but certainly the lead into Brisbane. There's no reason why we, we can't continue to to improve and get better. And um, there's great signs and uh, it's just exciting time for athletics and a terrific time to be a part of the sport. And for me to have stayed involved, I'm so delighted that I, I can still have some impact and enjoy the ride. It's, it's a funny way, you know, people say, well, Pat Tien and jumped ahead of you on the marathon. I'm going, well, how good's that? You know, I'm not, I'm yeah. not one of those old people kind of going, they ring you up and say, we haven't heard from you for 30 years. Do you realise some bloke ran quicker than you? Uh, you know, that's not how people treat me. And it's a great way to be, to be still so intimately involved with athletics and see it going so well. And you feel a bit, you know, you feel a bit sort of responsible. I mean, the, the development in distance running, Surely, you know, my involvement and just running around and being a part of it, still going to events to some degree, hopefully that's rubbed off. And as you know, I can feel a part of this growth in, in distance running. We're stronger in distance. I used to say it was a running boom, not a running boom anymore. It's just normalised now. 100%. Um, obviously, I think, you know, Deeks was vital. You were vital. Benita was vital. Mottram was vital. You know, for different generations were these key athletes that really kind of um, motivated everyone else. Along that line, I was on this. I was on a run with just a few months ago with some a younger squad, and there was a kid there who's who's I won't say his name. He's he's pretty good, fifteen hundred runner, fifteen or sixteen, 
he has no idea who Mochimo Benito who Benito are, right? And um no chance of knowing who me or Deke or Lisa. No, no idea. <laughs> I'm trying to explain to him who Craig Mochimo is, which was just crazy in my mind. But I and then it just, you know, looking back, like how important was Mochum to the generation we have seen now with Stewie and Ollie, because even Benita did it too. She showed you can actually win a world cross, which is just one of the best sporting achievements by an Australian full stop, right? And yeah. um, I had this argument with um, with a person who remained nameless because I think it's the the best performance by um, um, Australian distance runner. But we had we had an argument, so I'm not going to say who it was or whatever. But I happened to be there, fortunately, on that day, standing in the finish shoot with Nick Badoa as she ran past. And see, I looked across and she looked across at us and saw the smile on her face and I'm thinking, wow, I have witnessed an Australian winning the World Cross Country. And I didn't think I'd be seeing that in my lifetime, mate. Yeah. So it's a memory and a, a great result. But And whilst that young 15 or 16-year-old doesn't know Craig or Benita, there is no doubt that their influence is still having an impact. So it doesn't have to be personal, but it's just, I love that we, not that we respect history and tradition, but that we recognise that it has contributed to the sport being where it is at the moment. And I often say, you know, and I, I wouldn't, but, you know, if, you know, to Robbo and um, and Pat and, and Sinead and, you know, someone like Ollie and Stewie, they are the custodians of the baton at the moment, but that baton will be passed on at some stage. And, you know, you need to know when to pass it on, but you also need to make sure you pass that baton on in the best possible way you can with the sport in better shape. I always like to think, you know, we left the sport in good shape and the next generation continued to grow on that and it's allowed the sport to be where it is now. So just remember, and I'll tell them, they are just the custodians. They don't own our sport at the moment. They are the custodians, and if you remember that, then, you know, you should respect the history but also promote the benefits and look forward to the next future generation coming through, and that's why I'm delighted to see our performances going as well as what they are at the moment. It's so cool. If I told you five years ago, Mono, that there's a, there was going to be a kid in Canberra dump a 3.33 at 17, what would you have said? I would have said no chance, and, um, <laughs> and, and I would have said, um, you know, what's a world record? And you'd say, well, it's still 226 or whatever it is. I'm saying, well, that's interesting. That person's, you know, because he cams obviously brought that record down to the level that, you know, that it is. And yet the world record hasn't improved, which is interesting. So at some stage, I kind of feel like eventually the world record for, for 1500 will go pretty shortly because it has to, because you can't have, it's almost the reverse pyramid. We're having so many people now because, you know, Stewie runs 3.30 point and, it, and I get up in the, you know, I get up, I haven't watched it overnight, so I get up and I check and Stewie runs 3.30 and go, God, he, he's probably won, he's finished, he finished a seventh in the race. I think, God, how'd that happen? So the depth is there. So there is absolutely no way that the 1500 metre record isn't going to get smashed in the next 18 months. I'm telling you, it has to happen. So I love that, you know, the pressure from behind is coming and if you've got the depth, then it obviously pushes the, the levels at the higher, top level higher as well. So, but I would, I'm surprised He's a, he's a great kid. I've had a bit of banter with him. He's a perisher. I love False Creek. So, you know, I've got, I've got to tell him how bad perisher is. And what did I say? You perish it, perisher. You only fall over at falls. So that's my that's my line. <laughs> oh, Mono, it's been an awesome chat. I really enjoyed it. I think there's going to be a lot of people there that really enjoy it as well. And um, thank you for your time and your insights. It was pretty awesome. No worries, mate. And I just noticed you've got... 
a thylacine on your hat, which is feels a bit like me. I'm, <laughs> I'm dormant or invisible, but I'm still alive. Oh, shit. Yeah, yeah. the chat, Sam. Good on you, mate. If I can be doing half as good as you at 61, mate, I'm going to be, I'm going to be pretty <laughs> stuck to myself. It's all relative. Enjoy the chat. Thanks for, for always yeah. uh, getting Runners Tribe out there. Love your work. Cheers, Mona. Thank you. Cheers, mate. <laughs>